Good morning. So how many of you raised your hand about naps? They're happening, man. I'm telling you. You'll add 10 years to your life. Just take a nap. Oh, yeah, and also, after service, I didn't think it got announced, but there's a, there is a CCS 101. Can somebody confirm that for me? God just told me. There is a seat, no, I believe today that it didn't get mentioned. So if you're new to Calvary or maybe you've been coming for a while, you want to get some more information, meet some of our staff. At 1245 today, uh, there will be a CCS 101 right over in that room, and we'd love to have you come. Okay, would you stand, Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. We'd like to stand in honoring God's word. He said he, he honors his word above his name itself. So this is so important. Every time we read it, we hear it, we memorize it, we think about it, that's God speaking to us. So as we read the scripture, which we'll do a lot of that, as we go through these passages, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's our spiritual food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So just like... I, I like the idea, when you eat your food, you, you really don't know exactly what, how that's kind of, maybe you know some of it, maybe you've studied it, but how it assimilates, how your body uses that stuff like a good McDonald's, you know, sausage burrito in the morning with a large Coke. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, we really don't know how that all works, but I'll tell you, if we didn't do it, we'd die. So the spiritual food of God's word it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the joints and marrow, between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Uh, Psalm 19 tells us by these things we are, there's great reward. So all those things come into this whole understanding that we love the Bible. Say amen. We love the word of God. And when we read it, we hear it, all those things, God himself is speaking to us. So he's going to speak to us even as we read. So we're in Hebrews 11. We're looking at Moses' faith that overcomes the world this morning as we continue to study through the book of Hebrews and our, our hall of faith guide this morning is Moses. So by faith, verse 23, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Let's pray. Lord, please. By your spirit, I'm asking you to break fresh this food, our spiritual food. We're hungry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We want to be just continuing to press into our relationship with you through your word, through hearing your voice. And, and he, you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As we hear these things, help us to take them, Lord, as you would have them for us this morning and digest them. And may, they bring, may this time in the word bring forth fruit by your spirit. We love you, Lord. Bless now our time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A little boy was overheard talking to himself as he strutted through the backyard, wearing his baseball cap and toting a ball and bat. I'm the greatest hitter in the world, he announced. Then he tossed the ball into the air, swung at it, and missed. Strike one, he yelled. Undaunted, he picked up the ball and said again, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He tossed the ball into the air, and when he came down, he swung again and missed. Strike two, he cried. The boy then paused a moment to examine his bat and, bat, bat and ball carefully. He spit on his hands and rubbed them together. He straightened his cap and said once more, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Again, he tossed the ball in the air and swung at it. He missed. Strike three. Wow, he exclaimed. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Being great in the world is not all it's cranked up to be. And we all have a desire that way. This morning, in, in talking about faith that overcomes the world, it's interesting when we were praying for our nation last couple Tuesdays ago, quoting from presidents, Abraham Lincoln wrote in his diary during the worst part of the Civil War this, quote, Without Christ I cannot succeed, with Christ I cannot fail. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, unquote. He's quoting the Bible. Oh, to hear our presidents doing that again. So as with the preceding members of the Hall of Faith, which would be Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham, we're going to honor Moses' legacy by reviewing his story. Now, here's an interesting note as we're going through Hebrews. Maybe you've already seen it. Nowhere in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, will you find a record of any failure because of unbelief. Because the, the Hall of Faith is the Hall of Faith. It's the faith of belief. And so faith records victory. Faith always records only victories. So if you want to follow along this morning, which I hope you would, I'm not going to have, I'm going to have Acts chapter 7 up on the screen as we just review his story. But we're also going to jump over to Exodus chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, you open those or your device to Exodus 2. I'm going to go there in a moment. But I'm going to begin with Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 because he's basically doing the same thing. He's summarizing this man's Moses' life. And we're going to summarize that right now, 120 years of it. So in Acts 7, 17, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they might not live. At this time, verse 20 of Acts 7, up there. At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. So this is when he's born. This is at his birth. Now in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds of the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So he had compassion so she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. So interruption. I think an angel pinched little Moses. He let out a little yelp. <laughs> a baby's cry would be heard by a woman's heart, and the outcome is a given. She's right there. This is mine. So in Exodus continuing verse 7, chapter 2. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. She's getting paid to be a mom. What an idea. Although they don't need to be paid, amen. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, And he, Moses, became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water, or drawn out. Now back in Acts chapter 7. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and deeds. In other words, Moses was a highly educated, extremely gifted, and powerful leader in Egypt. It appears that Moses was actually sole heir apparent to the throne of Egypt. And we'll look at that in a moment. So here we have, continuing on, Moses. Now we're 40 years down the road in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day, verse 26, two of them, and the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile and say, 
Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? So two Israelites. But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Forty years in Midian. Now in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23, Moses is now 80 years old. And it happened in the process of time that the king of Israel died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groanings groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Okay, so this is, Moses is now 80 years old. In Acts chapter 7, pick it up here, verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look back. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. So verse 36 He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and the wilderness 40 years. So synopsis, there it is, 120-year story of Moses' life, 40, 40, and 40. So here he's 40 years in the wilderness. So let me turn a corner here. Moses' faith faith that overcomes the world. Here's where I want to begin to draw some applications for us. In the Bible... There are many things given for our learning and instruction in typologies and examples. Exodus land is a type of the world, a picture of our old life enslaved in bondage to sin. Pharaoh is a type of Satan, the god of this world, who opposes God and his people and would keep people in the darkness and bondage under his control. The Passover, which we're reading about in Exodus, uh, in Hebrews 11 with Moses, the Passover or the sprinkling of blood is prophetic of our Passover lamb, incredibly prophetic, Jesus Christ. His blood shed to save us from death and deliver us from bondage and this present evil world. The Red Sea, now sometimes this gets, people say the Red Sea is, the, is us crossing to heaven. No, the Red Sea is a picture of baptism, where our old life is buried, gone, done with, and we now have a whole new life and a new future by, with God promised to us of a promised land. So if you haven't been baptized, I hope you will be. Next week, there's classes, one during each service, and then the following Sunday, we'll be having a baptism. Now, in the Bible, the world can be referred to, can refer to three different things. The world as what was created by God. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Creation. Mankind is also a part of the world. That's this mankind loved by God. For God so loved the world. So it speaks of mankind. The system we want to look at this morning is this thing called the world. This evil system that is opposed to God. And we are in a battle against these things. Our faith necessitates it. So this evil system is an organized system for opposing the work of God and the people of God. So you think of the world of sports. You think of the world of entertainment. There's this whole system this, uh, that's, that, that would sort of take all those things in. As far as the world, this evil system, it's alienated from God and is in opposition to God. Its ruler is Satan and all of his cronies. Jesus has said, now is judgment come, is, is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So he is right now being allowed by God to run an evil system that's opposed to God and his people, and if you're a believer, is opposed to you. If you're not, he's very good at being very hidden to you. So, it, listen, it's evil. 
It's evil. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. So this system that we'll look at a little bit this morning is an entity that's hostile to God. It's subtle and seductive in its tactics. It has schemes and influences that are of the devil to tempt, to trap, to turn you or me from God. To tempt us to seek meaning and purpose apart from a relationship with God. Which is the ultimate lie. It's the ultimate futility. It's the ultimate tragedy because the wages of sin is death. The tragedy of death. So last week, I want to put this up again. We talked about the difference between temptation and testing. And here's what... Warren Wiersbe said, temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us through our fleshly desires. Testings, we looked at this last week, are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us through our faith in God. R.A. Torrey wrote this, quote, the reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before the battle comes Anticipate, he writes, anticipate your battles, fight them on your knees before temptation comes, and you will always have victory, unquote. Are we prepared? Do we understand these forces and what we're up against? Listen to what the Bible says about a Christian's relationship with the world, this system. Number one, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Jesus chose us out of the world. We are not of the world. We will be hated by the world. We, are, we can be deceived according to the basic worldly philosophies of the world. We can be deceived by those. We have escaped the pollutions of the world through our knowledge, knowing Jesus Christ. We escape these things. But we can be entangled. This is all, all these are scriptures. We can be in, entangled again in them, overcome by them. And the latter end is worse than the beginning, 2 Peter 2.20. See, these are things that I hope this morning, just to illuminate once again in our minds, we are in a spiritual battle against the world, against our flesh. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That's why in Galatians, Paul writes, I say then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary the one to the other so that you do not do the things that you want. We are in a spiritual battle with the, with, in, these, in this system, worldly system that appeals to our flesh. The flesh is our fallen sinful nature that will never cease to demand gratification. Let me say that again. The flesh. The flesh is our fallen sinful nature. That will never cease to demand gratification. Now. Lily Tomlin wrote this, quote, The trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat, unquote. That's a part of the battle. We are in this world with a fleshly nature that the world appeals to. We'll look at that in a moment. James likens the friendship with the world to committing spiritual adultery against God. James 4.4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't sit on the fence. I can't sit on the fence. I can't have it both ways. John Newton's life rule, I make it a rule of Christian duty never to go to a place where there is not room for my master as well as myself. I like this poem. All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the evil in the world, the wickedness and sin, can never sink the soul's craft unless it gets within. Worldliness, carnality. There is this unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that are aligned against the believer, against God's people. The world is tempting because it appeals to the flesh. The flesh is tempted by the world because what that is is our passions, 
our possessions and our position. Look at this right now. 1 John 2.15, he writes, and by the way, 1 John, he's on a couple other passages, he's talking about the world much in this epistle. And you know what the theme of the epistles, 1 John is? Fellowship with God. He's talking about the world. And so, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, what is that? That's our passions. Secondly, the lust of the eyes, that's our possessions. Third, and the pride of life, that is our position. Now, there's nothing wrong within of themselves. But when seduced by the world to take these to the level they were never intended to be in our hearts, in our minds, they become a problem. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing now, loving these things. That word, by the way, is agape. Loving these things. In other words, the supreme love, it's become the supreme love of my life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This unholy alliance is overcome very simply by doing the will of God. He who does the will of God. Loving God supremely over all these three things. This, old, this alliance, in 1 John 4, 4, he says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. What is he talking about? Listen, he's talking about demonic spirits. They're against us. R running the world. Because he who is in you is greater than he that it, who is in the world. I say, amen. 1 John 5, 3 and 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome because they're out of love for him. Supreme love for God. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Relationship with God is supreme. It's supreme. To put it another way, we'll come back to this in a moment. We overcome the world by faith in loving God supremely. He's the love of my life. When Jesus was talking to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he said, you've left your first love. You've left your supreme love. Now the Ephesian church was known for their love when birthed. By this time in their history, something happened. And if you were to go to the Ephesian church, you'd think this is a happening church. But Jesus looks at it, and in the heart, other things became supreme to the church. So by faith, we love God as supreme over our every passion. Every passion. By faith, we love God as supreme over all of our possessions. All of them. They belong to God. I'm stewarding what he in his love has given to me. Him in his grace. Him in his generosity has given to me. But I love him. These are his. And so by faith we love God as supreme over all of my possessions. That's how we overcome the world. By faith we love God as supreme over any position in this world. Any position. You know the disciple that just came to mind. The disciple said, Lord, his mom, the mom first, Lord, would you let my two sons sit on either side of you when you're in your kingdom? I mean, and you know what happened to the other guy? I mean, because this, this fallen nature, this pride element, well, hold on, they, they got mad at these two guys who then approached Jesus. And Jesus says, it's not for me to give you, to, to tell you. But the, 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 this pride, ooh. And the disciples were continuously battling. <laughs> Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Someone wrote, I don't know who it is, but I put anonymous. I thought when I became a Christian, I had nothing to do but just to lay my oars in the bottom of the boat and float along. But I soon found that I would have to go against the current, unquote. Have you found that? You betcha. The flesh and the spirit are at war. This worldly system is out to get you, to get me, and turn us and tempt us away from God's 
my love, my supreme love for God. You shall have no other gods before me. So there are three thoughts I'm going to give you, just a simple outline, that come to mind when I think about overcoming the world in context of this Moses' testimony. Number one, there's a war. We're at war. Secondly, the world. Thirdly, the way. And, in that, and with each of these, I'm just going to give you three little words as I go through these, as we uh, just think through this for us personally, taking this to heart. Moses was born to be leaving parents in a big, bad, and ugly world. So when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They saw he was a pleasing. In fact, as we read in Exodus, God saw him as beautiful. It, it, it speaks of that whole idea of he's not ordinary. He's something special. God has a plan for him, especially for him. And so it is for any parent. Our little, are they not like unique? And that's, that's the truth. They're all unique. Every child has a unique place in God's heart and plan from God's will. Isn't that fantastic? The world doesn't have that, by the way, for our best interests. So you might say, well, they may not be Moses, but listen, neither is Moses then. I mean, Moses is one guy, but here's my son. Here's my daughter. Last week, I read a writing posted on Facebook by Pastor Alex Cravens. I since found out he's a youth pastor. Many of you, like me, were very encouraged by a renewed perspective in God's sovereign plan and purpose at a time like this for each of our children. He began that. I want to read just the beginning end of that for my next thought. He writes... Don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids, grandkids, because the world they're going to grow up in is not what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. That's how he begins. And then he talks about a lot of things. And by the way, I've never gotten as many, many uh, responses that I did to that. I mean, maybe, if, if, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm exact. I just, many of you. And when I first read it, when Charlotte first showed it to me, it's the exact same thing. Wow, that is such a needed perspective. But then he closes with this. Don't let your fears steal the greatness God placed in them. I know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides our sweet little babies. And we just want to protect them from anything that could ever be hard on them. But they were born for such a time as this. And I would say, unquote, say, fantastic. But I also think that Pastor Alex would, believe, would agree with me. Because as with Amram and Jochebed, his dad and mom, Moses, there are those times to hide them. There are those times that they're not prepared for. And as parents, and you know this and I know this, and I'm, Pastor Alex, I'm sure the same thing, we have a responsibility to give them safe place to grow up, to be protected from this big, bad, ugly world. Why? Because they are precious in God's sight. They are all those things. And we've been given this incredible privilege to have them birth to me, my wife, to have our family, or our adopted family, which we have four, because they are precious in God's sight. So we need to hide them as long as possible, as long as necessary. They must have protection. They must have safety. Moses came into an ominous world because, because Pharaoh feared the growth of the children of Israel. He commanded that every male child born to an Israelite woman was to be thrown into the river and killed. The world in which we live has not changed except this. They don't wait for the child to be born. They kill him. You see, it's all about money. It's all about power. 
It's all about control. It's all about this worldly system. Demonic worldly system. Supported and promoted by the rulers of the darkness of this age. By the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. That's the source of what we're seeing. If those with the money and power and control have no qualms killing our little ones in the womb, do you think they care about you? Do you think they care about your family? Do you think they care about your children? They do not. Behind this is demonic forces that hate God, opposed to God. We live in a fallen world system. So let us never forget that the devil is the God of this age. The devil controls the currents of this world. And he has no qualms about sweeping our children right along those currents and seeing them drown in them. We must, and I know you agree, I don't, I, I don't think I need to even say it, but I'm, I'm saying it for my sake as well. As we must take to heart that our children need our protection, the safety of our homes, they need the truth. Syndicated columnist Cal Thomas said, we are a culture drowning in sensuality. Unquote. And so may God grant us the wisdom of Solomon to be prudent, to foresee the evil and hide our children. Proverbs 22.3 and 27.12, where? Under the shadow of his wings. May God grant us the perseverance to stand guard over our little ones. How? Read them and teach them God's word. Have it all around you and all, always in front of you. Deuteronomy, God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Non-conflict times. It's normal. It's part of what we do throughout the day. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They're always in front of you. They're always with you. You can't overdo it. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Read them the Bible. Teach them the Bible. Build in the Bible. Another thing that came to mind, just thinking, sing to them all about God. Let the melodies rise, the hymns, whatever it is. The one that came to mind that I can't get out of my head now. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little heart, what, who you trust. Be careful, little mind, what you think. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful. Another thought, remember, we all have a limited time. Our children are now 32 to 20. It's as though as yesterday they were born. Limited time. In fact, I think this whole thing that was happening was a blessing in disguise for Jochebed mom. Because she now has maybe two, three, four, five years possibly. With nobody, nobody knows exactly. But she had some time. And she had time with little Moses. What do you think she was doing while she's nursing him? And for those one, two, three, four, what is she doing? I'll tell you what she's doing. She's building him. She's praying for him. She's building into his life and into his mind the thing. Probably singing songs because songs have a way of sticking. Talking about God. 
So when, the, when he became the age of 40, those things bear fruit. And he realized, no, I'm going the way of God's people. And I believe that in these times where Jochebed had this time with Moses, that she's, she's redeeming the time because the days are evil. And she used that time quietly whispering the heart of her little boy the things of God. His parents were not afraid of the king's command. It does not say they were not afraid of the king. They understood that he had the power and he had the authority and handed that to others to kill her son. But they were not afraid of the king's command. In other words, they're not going with it. They're not going to let that happen. Anything and everything they do will be that their son would not be drowned, would not be killed. You know, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord shall be saved. We must resist every temptation to fear man. God will take care of us. We must resist every temptation to live in fear. God will take care of us. And I believe one of the things that's gone on these last couple years is an awareness that we better be getting prepared for persecution. We better be getting prepared for things that we never thought we'd have to deal with. Listen, they're dealing with it right over the border of Canada. Are we prepared? You see, because the fear of man, and our world is run by fear now. Listening to this one interview, they said the greatest fear, rightfully so, but the greatest fear that surfaced in all these things is the fear of death. I'm going to die. And people will do anything so they're not going to die. And getting into all these things that are going on now in, these, in the worldly system, the demonic worldly system of now a womb being created outside of the mother. I mean, just crazy stuff. It's demonic. It's replacing God. We must not fear man. We must must not, if we're going to be able to stand, we must not live in fear. God will take care of us. And I'm finding that these are the kinds of things that I must be thinking about and talking about as a very big part of preparing for what may come about. The battle is for our minds, our hearts, in knowing, loving, and obeying God. That's the battle. And that's the same battle for the minds and our hearts of our children, of our young people. There's a war going on, brothers and sisters, you know that. It's a battle for the mind. It's a battle to draw us in to the worldly systems and take us captive in them. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said this, 1 Timothy 6, 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, and there's the word again, and snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's one of the ugly verses in the Bible. The lusts. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some having strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see the worldly system at work. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, Patience, gentlemen, pursue them, go after them, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called, and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You live your life like you've been living it. Don't get entangled in wanting to be rich. Don't go after the things of the world. Keep your heart pursuing these things that matter. So there's a war. Three things as I read this, just three three different things. Number one, be careful. Be careful. There's a war going on. Secondly, be courageous. Amran and Jacob were courageous. Hit him three months 
Then when they could no longer, then they were courageous to put him in the ark. And I think they had the whole thing planned. I think they knew the, uh, the schedule of, of Pharaoh's daughter. She's going to come out to bathe at this time. We're going to get that thing. We're going to fix it up. We're going to put it in there. And, and there it goes. They never left Moses alone, by the way. Watching the ark. What a crazy story, huh? You know, only finding the Bible. Because it's true is why it's crazy. And there, he takes him up. Baby's crying. Well, you want me to get something? You want me to get, get someone? To, yeah, go get her. Be courageous. And with that, be creative. What are the things that you're facing? What am I facing right now? That I realize i got to make some changes. i got to figure something out here. Be creative. Allow the Lord to speak into these situations that you think have no answer and give you a creative next step. How am I going to do that? Maybe there needs to be, there's something that's, you, you don't have the finances for something you'd like to be doing. How's that going to work? Maybe you want to have your child in a different school. How does that work? Be courageous, be creative, be careful. The next one, how are we doing here? We're doing good. The second I thought here is the world. And in 24 through 26, three things. Number one, refuse to pursue prestige and power. Refuse it. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he became of age, which means he had grown up. It could be translated, he became great. It could be, that, it could be translated, the years of discretion had now come. In other words, Moses was a man in full vigor who had thought it out over the 40 years or whatever it was and made a decision. By faith, when he, when he became of age, he refused to seek the work, which were all his, if he wanted them. It was not the decision of some rebellious child or some rebellious adolescent it was a decision made in full knowledge of what he was doing. Choosing rather. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Not doing it. Josephus tells that Pharaoh had no other children. That his daughter, Timurtus, had no children of her own. So most likely, Moses was next in line for the throne of Egypt. If you were looking at it from a worldly perspective, that's a lot to lose. Moses said, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with that. No thanks. Some say he was having a midlife crisis. I'll have to correct that. He's having a third life crisis. Because 40, 40, 40. And here, Moses had 40 years of learning the ways of Egypt. Highly educated, all that he ever wanted, right there at his back end. And then God had to take him out of Egypt to unlearn Egypt for 40 years. And then he brought him to that place at the burning bush where God was now calling him. And the last one-third of his life, 40 years, was God's call in his life. But listen, he had been prepared for that for years. God's not in a hurry. You see, Moses would be the guy that just said, I'm your man. Dun, dun, dun. Well, what? Why, are you, why are you fighting? I'm the man. I'm going to deliver you guys. As he goes in, these two, two Israelites fighting. He says, what are you doing? What are you? And they pushed him away. What are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Oh, no. Maybe I'm not the man. <laughs> see, that's what happens in our pride. It's in this desire for, you know, the, the praise of men or some kind of position. I'm the man. But you know what happened with Moses? When God finally called him, he said, I'm not your man. <laughs> Me? No way. I'm not, I can't speak. I, I mean, he's like, see, that's humility. Pride says, I'm the man. Humility says, am I the man? Am I the guy? So simply put, we overcome the world by faith in loving God supremely. By faith, we love God as supreme over any position. That's what Moses did. He's supreme over that. God called him. 
choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. By faith, he loved God as supreme over every passion. He'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And you might look at that and think the passing pleasures of sin, that's all the lusty stuff that we think about. But that, this, the description here, the language here, is identifying this whole thing as he became successful. Success by worldly standards, by the worldly system, is failure as far as God's concerned. It describes this word successful, prestige, wealth, freedom. He was not a revolutionary. Moses was a man who deliberately classed himself with God's people. And I can tell you, when I came back to the Lord in California, I had a lot of friends that were thinking I was nuts. Moved into a, the Lord's house, lived there for five years, all with believers. And they're thinking, what's he doing? <laughs> I was saying, God, what are you doing? But not for them. To identify as a believer, unashamed, Moses considered everything. He concluded that this success of the world, the pleasures of sin, would not last. Short-lived. Now the irony in all this for me is that the afflictions Moses suffered, most of them were more from the people that he was identifying with than with the world. They gave him all kinds of problems. But he endured. He kept going. God was working. So by faith, we love, as, we love God as supreme over every passion, everything that allures us. And then look to the reward by esteeming, verse 26, the reproach of Christ, greater rich than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Again, all this was with careful consideration. And how do we overcome the world? By faith, we love God as supreme over all our possessions. All the treasures in Egypt were his. He wanted them. My grandson Merrick, who's nine, somehow he got very interested a couple years ago in Egyptology. And so we've been reading a book. We, read, we were reading a book on this whole thing. And do you know that this once incredible civilization is now buried under tons of sand? And literally thousands and thousands of mummies. When they, un, when they begin, begin excavating these things, and there still are, and people find out about them, many of these sites have been robbed of those treasures that were put there by the people that died thinking they could take them with them. They didn't take them with them. Temporary at best. If you would ask Moses if he made the right decision, he said, I bet I did. You bet I did. And I'm enjoying the, I've enjoyed it ever since. No different for us. By faith, we love God as supreme over all our possessions. Now, how do we do that? Three sim simple things. We're going to take communion. Endure as seeing him who is invisible. Endure as seeing him. You may not be able to see him, but know that he is with you. And all these things. Remember the Passover, which is what we're going to do. Remember the cross. Remember the Passover as it's now become our, the Lord's Supper. And you can go get pre prepared for that. That's what Moses did. Here's his Passover thing. They had never heard of a Passover before. And there they are in Egypt in bondage. God says to Moses, now I want everyone to get their lamb, your lamb, bring it into the house. Sacrifice it, put the blood on the doors, the lintels, the top, and the, base, the cross. And you stay in that house. And when I come to judge with the tenth plague of death, the nation Israel, the gods of Egypt, Pharaoh himself, when I come and I see the blood, I'll pass over. And you know what? They did it. Moses, Moses led them in doing that. They had never done it, never heard of it before in that sense. And sure enough, God did what he said he'd do. And not only that, when it was all over, God then did something so miraculous, so incredible, 
He brought about their deliverance, which is the third thing. Remember the Passover, but then celebrate your deliverance. How do we overcome the world? Enduring as seeing him was invisible. Remember the cross. Remember the pa- our Passover, Jesus Christ. And third, celebrate your deliverance. God did it. He's not done yet. Would you say amen to that? He's not done yet, but we have been delivered. We have put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are going to remember him, remembering his death until he comes right now in communion together. And then celebrate your deliverance. So let's do that. As these are passed out, if you haven't done them before, I'm going to just give you a little instruction on that. There's a clear cellophane that holds the bread on the top. Take that off first. And then the foil that has the juice underneath. Because my first time I ever got one of these cups, I had it all over my lap. Because I tried to do both. So cellophane. Then, so take those. And I, I, my heart, personally, is that we understand, I understand, I take to heart this morning, that God is the God who delivers. All his promises. He is the God who died, sent his son to die on a cross to give us a meaning in what he can do, will do, and will yet do. And so just in considering this area of overcoming the world, are there things there of your possessions? Are there things there of your passions? Are there things about positions? that you're jockeying a little bit with the Holy Spirit right now. I would say now is the time to just confess to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says it's a time to examine ourselves. Just say to the Lord, okay, are these things starting to leak into my boat? Are these things starting to, to do that, which you, Lord, at this point in communion right now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all Let's allow the Holy Spirit just to wash over us this morning as you receive the emblems. We'll take them together once they're all passed out.